We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm just sick and tired of it. I'm tired of people quoting the Bible when they don't know what they're talking about. And I'm tired of pastors doing it as well as parishioners. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. Today's topic is misquoting the Bible or just taking it out of context to the extent that what you say about it actually is irrelevant, doesn't make any sense. And not only is this happening in the parishioners, those people that don't have theological degrees, we just go to church and we do so because we expect the pastor or the priest to tell us something that's true about our faith, true about the Bible, true about what it means to be a Christian, but yet what we're getting today is a bunch of pablum, a bunch of opinions from people who posture as if they're our spiritual leaders, but frankly, they're sheep, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. They don't even have any clue about what they're talking about, or they do, and they're being intentionally deceptive. So that's the topic for today's show. And even if you're listening in and you're not a Christian, and I'm not assuming that everybody that listens to me is, I want you to bear with me on this because, frankly, as I use the quadrilateral to assess worldviews, world behavior, what we're doing in our culture and our broader cultures at large, as I use the quadrilateral to assess that, I hope you see that there is great veracity in this, that it works, and that as we understand what's going on around us, viewing it through the quadrilateral, you'll be tempted to say, aha, finally, I've got a measuring rod outside of those things being measured, and therefore I can do some measuring. I think you'll understand why the biblical worldview is the only worldview that actually works. And then when we discard it, and every man starts doing what is right in his own eyes, to quote the last verse of the Old Testament book called Judges, that the world unravels, your culture unravels, because there's no cult, and I don't mean that in the sense of a false religion, the word culture Its root word is cult, and that means a common understanding, a common bond, a common sense of values and virtues. Your religion, if you will, that holds you together, the glue that holds your culture together is your quote-unquote cult. That glue has to be something that's true. Otherwise, people just start walking away and doing what is right in their own eyes. And you no longer have a culture any longer. You no longer have a community. You no longer have a country. If you don't have definitions, if you don't have boundaries, if you don't have that common worldview and philosophy that works, 
and is right and real and true, you're going to have craziness like you see in our daily news today. That's today's topic, and I'm going to go to the Bible. I'm going to share verses with you that prove that prove what we're enduring right now, what we're seeing right now on the nightly news in America, in the United States, in every state across the country. What we're seeing right now was foretold. Peter told us this was coming. Paul told us this was coming. James and Jude told us this was coming. Jesus told us this was coming. And isn't it interesting that all of these people were right? Stop and think about that. If somebody told us 2,000 years ago that what you're seeing right now in the news was going to happen, wouldn't you want to go back and try to understand and figure out why they were right? How could they know? Maybe they know because their worldview was grounded in something that was revealed, that was understood as being the measuring rod outside of your opinions and your feelings, something that was given to us by God rather than created by us through our gut, our desires, our passions, our libido, or imposed upon us by the government. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. If you listened to yesterday's show, you know that I uh, featured a pastor who has recently started going around the country and preaching a sermon where he says that there's nothing in the Bible that says anything about the consequences of engaging in homosexuality. He's actually saying that in a sermon. And his other point in this sermon is that, oh, there's tons of verses in the Bible that tell us about stoning the woman who gets a divorce. Now, as I said in yesterday's show, both of those claims are false. Okay? The Bible doesn't say anything about stoning a woman if she gets a divorce. It does not say anything about that. And even when this guy was challenged, he referred to the story in the New Testament where Jesus forgives the woman caught in adultery. Yes, the Pharisees, the religious teachers and preachers of the day, actually the politicians too, because that's what they were. So when the Professors, the politicians, and the preachers, the Pharisees, dragged a woman into the public square to stone her. They were doing that because she was caught in adultery, not because she was getting a divorce. Jesus turns to all of these preachers and teachers and politicians, and he says to them, let him who with his, excuse me, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And all of the guys embarrassed, drop their stones and walk away because none of them are willing to stand there before all of the public and say, I'm sinless, I'm perfect, I've never done anything wrong. So Jesus, through his rhetorical point, causes them to drop their stones and walk away. That is the story that this preacher is referring to when he says that women caught in divorce, women who are getting a divorce, are to be stoned. That's not what the passage is talking about. And he should know this. And if he does know this, he's twisting and manipulating the Word of God. He's being deceptive. He's lying. Now, that that's the first point. Um, the second point, where he says there's nothing in the Bible that talks about the consequences of homosexual behavior. 
what a boatload of nonsense. The Bible is replete with it. It's all over the place. And I talked to you yesterday yesterday about that when I said from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is consistent in saying that the homosexual act and the word homosexual is not referenced in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Do you know why? Because it didn't exist back then. We created this word in the late 1880s, and it was a political creation. That's when we started making the mistake of talking about this as an identity rather than a behavioral choice. Up until, up until the 1880s, the homosexual act was considered sodomy. It was described as that because it was an act. It wasn't your identity. It was a behavior. It wasn't your being. It, it was a choice that you made to do something that you could choose to do differently. And the Bible is making the point, don't choose to do that. Whether you have an inclination toward it or not, whether you're tempted to do it or not, whether you want to do it or not, is all irrelevant. Don't do it because it's unhealthy. It, 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 will, it will compromise your body and your soul. That's the point. And yes, I'm saying it. I'm saying it on this podcast. I'm saying it on this radio show because it's just a fact. It's just a fact. We know that those who engage in certain sexual activities are more prone to STDs. And this particular act is one of those activities that is more prone to that than others. I've said on this show a dozen times over that we could cure STDs right now. All we need to do is behave biblically. If we behave as the Bible tells us to behave when it comes to sexuality, we're not going to get sick. If you're a secularist and listening to me, you've got to agree with this. Even if you're an agnostic and you don't claim Christian faith, you have to agree because we know that STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, are perpetuated by violating the biblical ethic. If we were all monogamous and didn't have sex with anybody other than the person we choose to marry and didn't do so until we marry, STDs will go away. That's my point. But we don't behave that way, and we never have as people, and we suffer the consequences thereof. And the Bible speaks to those consequences, and I'm going to cite some of those passages here in just a minute. So this pastor making that claim is just, he's, he's being deceptive. I guess that's my point. There's deception here. It, it, it's wrong. He's violating the quadrilateral. And what is that? That's history, reason, experience, and scripture. The four things that I've talked about on this show that you should use to evaluate any idea. That's the lens through which you look at a worldview. History, what does tradition teach us about this? History, the time-tested truths that have prevailed over the course of the human existence. We ought to attend to those and not think that just because we've got a new idea that's five minutes old that we can supplant 5,000 years of biblical teaching, of history, of tradition, the things that we know have proven to be true time and time again over the course of our existence. So history should be honored. That's the first component of the quadrilateral. Reason is the second component. You have a brain, use it. You have rational capacities. Don't set them aside. Don't honor your feelings over the facts, which is exactly what we're doing in our culture right now. We're setting aside reason. In fact, we're condemning it as being the product of white privilege, rationality, logic, etc. My land, this is leading us to a place where we're condemning racism by being racists. We're pretending that women aren't real when they are. 
I mean, we're, we're setting aside rationality and science for the sake of our libido, for our emotions, the way we feel. That's contrary to the quadrilateral. So the first two points, again, are history and reason. Honor the time-tested truths and use your brain. Don't set aside logic and rationality. The third component of the quadrilateral is, is what? It's experience. It, and that's the Dr. Phil question. How's it working for you? What's experience tell you? When you look at not only your own personal life and how your ideas are working themselves out, what the consequences of those ideas are, are they good or are they bad? Are you getting sick or are you staying healthy? Uh, you know, those questions ought to be asked as you start embracing a worldview. Do you, do you cut off functioning organs from your body or do you honor the fact that your body is healthy and you ought to leave it alone and not cut off functioning organs that are healthy and have a purpose? I mean, this is experience. Also, if you're ending up in jail all the time of, because of decisions that you're making, your experience tells you that maybe those decisions aren't good ones. You attend to the consequences of the things you do. So again, the first three components, I'll repeat them again, history, reason, and then experience. Time-tested truths, use your brain, and the Dr. Phil question, how's that one working for you? When you see Christians, I, I've, I've shared this story before with regard to my, my brother. You know, he, he made decisions that were contrary to the way our mother told us to live, and he suffered the consequences thereof. He, he was addicted to various different substances. He had to go to the VA for detox frequently. And then ultimately, because of some decisions he made, he spent some time in jail. And when I visited him in my suit and tie on one side of the plate glass window and him in his orange jail fatigues on the other side of the plate glass window, the logical question is this, Bruce, how's that working for you? Are your decisions ending uh, in a good place? Or are you behind this plate glass window right now because you're your decisions have consequences. They're not working. How's it working for you? You get my point on that? So what's the fourth component of the quadrilateral? And here's the beauty of this worldview. The fourth component is not equal to the other three. It's the trump card, if you will, that you're holding in your hand. You always have to have a measuring rod outside of those things being measured, or you can do no measuring. I've already said that. Not only in this show, but in dozens of other shows, that have preceded this, because it's so important. You can't be the final measuring rod of what is right and just and real and pure. You can't, because when you become that final measuring rod, that final standard, it's like what was prophesied in the book of Judges or told to us about the way Israel lived. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And what happened? Total chaos. Because there's no cult left. There's no culture left. There's no country left. There's no community left. There's no church left. When everyone does what is right in their own eyes, you're not going to have unity. You're not going to have the United States. You're going to have the divided states. That's what you're seeing right now in all of these claims of intersectionality and critical theory. It's divisive. You're pitting everyone against everyone else because they can do what's right in their own eyes. Want to be a female? Be a female. Want to be a male? Be a male. Uh, tell little boys and little girls that they should, they should transition because they 
like to play with little girls, that makes them a girl? Or if they like to play with little girls, that makes them a lesbian? I saw a story yesterday where that's exactly what's happening. A mother came into a coffee shop and said something about how her little girl came home from elementary school and her teacher was telling her because she likes to play with other little girls, she's probably a lesbian. A 10-year-old girl is being told this. Everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. And this doesn't end well. It doesn't end well because there's no way a culture or country can defend itself against, against another culture or country if it doesn't even understand its own identity, why its values and why its constitution, why, why its seminal documents, why its measuring rod is better than the measuring rod of those that are seeking to overthrow it and conquer it. You see that in the discussion of socialism and communism. Our current generation doesn't seem to think there's anything wrong with these other worldviews that are antithetical to the United States and our constitutional republic. At least those other worldviews used to be antithetical to who we are as a country, but because we've bought the lie, we've been drinking the Kool-Aid. Now we have... People that are telling us during the 4th of July that we shouldn't be celebrating it anymore because our country is bad, it's not good. Our Constitution is bad, it's not good. Our Declaration of Independence is bad, and it's not good. And if all of those things are bad, then why would we want to stand up and defend them if somebody comes in and tries to overthrow us? That's what happened to Israel time and time again. The book of Judges is a book about the cycle, the cycle of disobedience. And what happened to that country over and over again because they refused, they refused to obey. Okay, now in the minutes I've got left, I want to share with you the fact that the Bible does speak to these things. I mean, this pastor is saying the Bible doesn't speak to this stuff. What, what Bible is he reading? Uh, my land. And, and it's not just Paul. Some people will say, well, it's just those clobber passages, those clobber verses where Paul says stuff against homosexuality because he was a homophobic. Baloney, that's garbage. You can't read the Bible and come to that conclusion. The prophets from Moses on condemned homosexuality. In fact, this is the way you should look at this discussion. Show me one verse, just one. That's all I want to, one verse. Show me one verse in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that says anything positive about the homosexual act or about a homosexual identity. I want to see one verse. I mean, the book was written over thousands of years. You'd think if it was a good thing that somebody would have stumbled across a positive statement to say about this in the Bible, right? Well, it's not there. You cannot find one positive thing about it. So it's not just Paul being homophobic, and it's not just Old Testament stuff. No, that's not. There's a consistent sexual ethic throughout Scripture that never changes, and that might tell you something. It might tell you that that consistency and the fact that the sexual ethic never changes, it might tell you that the reason for that is that this is a rock-solid, immutable, unchangeable truth of God in the way we should be living. So does the Bible speak to the issue? Well, um, when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said the body is not meant for sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. You are not your own, so glorify God in your body. You must not indulge in sexual immorality. Do you get your point? Excuse me, do you get his point? I think he's pretty clear. He's pretty clear. Now, what is he referring to when he talks about sexual immorality, pornea, 
Well, he makes that clear in a previous sentence. He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, etc., will inherit the kingdom of God. So, underneath the umbrella of pornea, he talks about various different types of sexual actions, sexual behavior that are outside of the parameters of God, and he includes homosexuality under the definition of pornea. In Galatians, when he writes to the church of Galatia, he says this, uh, do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Flee impurity and sensuality. Now, that in and of itself, sensuality, do you think that the pride parades were laden with sensuality? Obviously they were. So there he covers it again. To Ephesians, he writes this, sexual immorality and all impurity should not be named among you. Hmm, pretty clear there, too. Let no one deceive you, he says. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes. Consequences? He's talking about consequences here to the church of Colossia. I mentioned that yesterday. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. On the account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Put off the old self and its practices and put on the new self. Again, this is not confusing. Paul is being clear to his young mentee, Timothy. He said this, have nothing to do with an irrelevant with, excuse me, with irrelevant and silly myths. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And if anyone teaches different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ on the teachings that accord with godliness, he understands nothing. He understands nothing. So he's being very clear that in later times, some will depart from the faith and devote themselves to, to deceitful teachings. And within that, within those deceitful teachings, he says this in the second letter to Timothy. In the last days, there will come lovers of self. This self-focus? Well, I just feel this way. Proud. Pride month? Arrogant. Without self-control. Not loving good. Lovers of pleasure. Again, what's driving everything right now? Pleasure. Avoid such people, Paul says to Timothy. These men oppose the truth. They are men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth. Does that, does that sound like it applies to today's discussion? Why aren't you hearing this from the pulpit? To the church of Corinth, Paul wrote this, uh, There is sexual immorality among you and the kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of bread? He says this, I wrote to you not to associate with sexually immoral people, not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality. Now, notice what he's saying here. When he's talking about not associating, he's talking about within the church. Not that you shouldn't go out into the community and be redemptive to your neighbor who is broken and suffering because of it. No, he's not saying stay away from those people, but he's saying in the church, be clear about who you are and exercise church discipline to hold each other accountable. He says this, purge the evil person from among you. If you've got people in the church that are preaching this garbage, including your pastor, what's Paul say about it? Purge them. You're not supposed to be associating with them. They're not t telling you the truth. They're not demonstrating what's right and just and real and pure in front of your children. You're going to suffer consequences if you don't take action.
He concludes to the church of Corinth by saying this, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Flee it. You are not your own. Glorify God in your body. You must not indulge this stuff, sexual immorality. He's being pretty clear here. It's compromising your body. To the church of Galatia, he says this, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the, of the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident, he says. Again, one more time. Do you think it's important? How many times does he have to say this? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Seems to be pretty clear, Pastor. There are consequences for this stuff. Ephesians. He says this, sexual immorality and all impurity must not even be named among you. Let no one deceive you. Because of these things, what? The wrath of God comes. He said it again. Repetition, repetition, repetition. He's making a point, isn't he? Let's conclude. Let's conclude by going to what he tells Timothy. He says to Timothy, in the last days there will come lovers of of self, the proud, the arrogant, those without self-control, not loving good, but lovers of pleasure. Avoid such people. These men oppose the truth. They are corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth. That's a repeat, but I want you to hear that. That's what he's saying to Timothy. Now, let's go to Peter, the rock upon which Jesus built the church. Petros, Peter says this, There will be false teachers among you who secretly bring destructive heresies, and many will follow their sensuality. They will exploit you with false words. But these people are like irrational creatures. They're like animals of instinct, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, and they will be destroyed. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, for them the gloom of outer darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice with sensual passions. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. Knowing first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own desires, take care that you are not carried away with the error of these lawless people and lose your stability. Pretty clear, isn't it? Don't let anybody tell you that the Bible doesn't speak to these issues. I'm just giving you a cursory overview. I'm just skipping across the top of the waves, the waves of truth that come through the centuries, through the millennia of Scripture. Now, why do you think there's so much repetition in here? It's because this measuring rod outside of those things being measured is clear, and it's based in history, reason, experience, and the revelation of God. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.